Thank you, James. Evening, everyone. As James said, my name is Liam, one of the pastors here. Good to be together. Good to welcome friends of Aaron and Sarah. Glad you're here. Church is weird, right, when you're not used to it. Stand up to sing. Uh, no one jumping about the front uh, like we do at gigs. And then we sit down for everything else, but we pray that even in this time, the next 20 minutes, um, you'll start to see a little bit more about what we do and what our focus is. It's a lot about what's contained in this book, and I hope that in 20 minutes' time, you'll find out why. Uh, we're going to pray. We're going to talk to God again together first, so let's bow our heads and let's pray. Our Father, thank you for giving us, in your word, two very clear examples of the ways that we can respond to it. In the person of Josiah, we had someone who heard what you had said, was convicted by it, and treasured it, changed his life. And then we have, on the other hand, someone like Jehoiakim who heard your word, tore it up, and tossed it in the fire. Lord, help us to be like Josiah. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I had uh, the most wonderful uh, experience this morning. Uh, God spoke to me twice. Uh, the first time I was sitting in my living room, it was still dark outside. There were a few kids running around the place, so it wasn't exactly quiet, but curtains were still drawn. And right there in my living room, God spoke to me. Do you know what he said? He said that I should crave the pure spiritual milk that will help me grow as a Christian, to grow in my salvation, now that I've tasted that the Lord is good. That's what he said. It was quite an experience. It was as clear as day, his voice, his message as well, right on the button, because I have tasted his goodness. I know how good God is, but I definitely need to develop much more of a hunger and an appetite for his work and enjoy it and savor it even more. That was the first time. The second time I heard God's voice, I was sitting right up there. It was about 1048 and uh, God spoke to me again, clear as day. Do you know what he said? He said, uh, you have been called according to my purpose and will be conformed to the image of my son. And I thought, wow, how kind of God to not only let my ears hear those words, but to feel emotion, feel a response at of joy at those words. And I was overwhelmed with gratitude. In an instant, I just kept on saying, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, over and over to myself. Now, some of you have probably caught on to the fact that I'm being a little bit facetious here because on neither of those occasions did I actually hear an audible voice like Liam, like that's how God speaks. Um, but there's no mistake in it. I heard God speak for... In the reading and in the preaching of God's word, the Bible, he speaks with crystal clarity, and through these means, we hear his voice, okay? Now, I start with that because people often read this passage in 1 Samuel about God appearing to Samuel, Samuel, because that's how God speaks, 
and saying, you know, we come to this and say, I, you know, I just wish that God would speak to me in some way just like that. It would make things way better. And I've heard people who follow Jesus say that. Oh, if only I could hear God's voice speak to me and then tell me what to do in this or that. It would make my decision making a whole lot easier. But I often hear Christians say that with a sense of disappointment, that God hasn't spoken to them in that way. And it's almost like God's let them down. Well, that's daft. But I've also heard those who don't follow Christ in the same way. One of my friends uh, who lives near me uh, said, uh, I said to him, do you want to read the Bible together? And he said, no, I'm fine, thanks. <laughs> I said, well, do you want a Bible? I'll give you one. You can read it for yourself. He's like, no, I kind of feel like that if, I, if I'm going to become a Christian, what I really need is for God to speak to me so that I can actually hear his voice. Uh, but as it is, he's pretty quiet just now, so I'm all right for the moment, thanks. He wants to hear God's audible voice speak to him, or else he's pretty much said, I don't think I'll ever become a Christian unless that happens. Now, to conclude though, you know, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, whether from your own opinion, or even from this passage in 1 Samuel 3, that you should expect to hear the audible voice of God speak to you in person is a mistake. That's not the point of this passage. Yes, God does do this. Hence, we have it in 1 Samuel 3. But every time we read of it in Scripture, it's always, and I mean the word always, it's always given to a very certain person who has a very specific task to do that is very, very crucial to the outworking of the thread of God's plan from beginning to end. It's never given to any Tom, Dick, or Sally who's just like, I wonder if I should marry this guy, or I wonder if I should go for this job or that job. Doesn't happen, all right? It's not the way it works. And anyway, you're not Samuel. You are not being set up by God to bring about a transition in national leadership of a people from which will come the savior of the world. Are you? No, is the answer to that before anybody jumps in. You're not. But having said that, this passage does show us how God speaks to us today through the words of his prophets. Written down for us so that when we hear them read, we can be sure we hear God speak. Okay? So let me explain what's happening in this passage. And then I'll run through it so that we see what the text says. And then I'm going to finish with three points of application for why it matters and how we can put it into practice, right? But the main point, first point, is that God speaks through his prophet. That's exactly what's happening in this book of First Samuel in chapter 3. What you've got in verses 1 to 10 is God calling this guy, Samuel, to be his prophet. Okay, a prophet basically in biblical terms is someone who says what God has said to them. He's like a spokesman for God. Uh, I always like to picture a prophet as being something like, like a megaphone. You know, a megaphone in the hand of God through whom God speaks, right? And we, what we've seen so far is that God has been maneuvering this young boy, Samuel, into this position where he's in a temple, in a place of worship, a very specific place of worship in Israel 
you know, a thousand years before Jesus came into this earth. And God's been, as we've seen in the previous two chapters of 1 Samuel, he's been maneuvering him into position for this very reason. Through Hannah's prayers and faithfulness to her vow, Samuel, through no will of his own, is serving God as a priest, uh, a religious leader at Shiloh. And here we have at the start of chapter 3, in a time when the hearing of the word of the Lord was rare, we're invited to see who's best placed to hear God's word. It's not Eli. Eli was the serving priest, the boss, if you like, of that temple. Though the tabernacle lamp is still lit, the text says, he's tucked up in his bed somewhere else. He's bunked off early, in other words. But where's Samuel? Samuel is not only lying down in God's house, he's lying as near to the ark of the covenant, the seat of God's presence, in other words, as he can. And it's right there in this temple that God calls Samuel. The strange thing is, even though God speaks to him audibly, Samuel doesn't seem to know who's speaking to him. Now you'd think you'd recognize the voice of God because it's very deep and manly. But doesn't it, it, you know, it booms like we hear in the old movies. But from Samuel's reaction, God's voice seems to be very ordinary. Three times in verses 4 to 10, Samuel hears God's voice, but for some reason thinks it's his boss, Eli. So off he goes, yes, Eli. And Eli's like, what are you doing waking me up at this time of the morning? Um, I didn't call you. You can imagine what that's like uh, with having three young kids. There's various points throughout the night where they kind of creep into your room and they're just a little bit, you know, it's either if you're awake, sorry kids, they're here. <laughs> if they're awake, it's mildly annoying. But if you're enjoying quite a good sleep and they just kind of appear in front of your face, you get a fright of your life. Now I can imagine, that's the way I imagine Eli. It might not be true, but anyway, I imagined him getting the fright of his life and then saying, I didn't call you, get back to bed. That's what happened the first time. Now Samuel's probably embarrassed about that, goes back to his bed the first time, but then the second time, he's probably confused. And when it happens a third time, he's probably convinced that someone's playing a practical joke on him. He's probably thinking, I bet that Hophni and Phineas boys are up to no good. Now, why did Samuel not recognize God's voice? The answer's in the text. Verse 7, look with me. Samuel did not know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you'd be thinking, uh-oh, because that's what was said of Hophni and Phinehas, the people God is judging in this section of this book. Their sinful behavior was put down to the fact that they did not know the Lord. But this is different. Hophni and Phinehas had received the knowledge of God and rejected it, but Samuel is still growing in that knowledge. He's still a young boy. I guess he's like a kid in Sunday school learning the teachings of the Bible, uh, but still we're waiting for that moment when they for themselves will profess faith in Christ on their own. Well, for Samuel, this is the day. After some tips from Eli, Samuel perceives who it is that's speaking to him. Look with me, verse 10. The Lord came and stood there calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Now this time saying it, twice. This is significant. In a time, as we saw in verse 1, when visions were rare, Samuel sees God, right? It's called a theophany, 
a visible appearing, a manifestation of God in some way. But notice there's no description of what that appearance looks like. That's because we're not meant to focus on what Samuel, that's because we're meant to focus on what Samuel hears, not what Samuel sees. Because in a time, as we saw in verse 1, when the word of God was rare, Samuel hears God speak. And that's what the text is all about. And what is God doing? In this moment, he's calling this boy Samuel to be a prophet, the megaphone for his voice, a spokesman. God didn't, doesn't call many people in this way. Abraham and Jacob in the past, yes, but this sounds so like the time, actually, when God called Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And then what did he do? Well, he gave him some very, very important words to take to Pharaoh in Egypt about letting his people go. So this is big. Deuteronomy 18 actually says, so this book of the law that these priests would have had and should have been reading, says that God's people were actually waiting on another prophet like Moses who was going to declare the word of God and make God's voice crystal clear to the whole nation of God's people and indeed to the whole world. Now, I don't think it's Samuel, but I'll, give, I'll tell you who it is a bit later on. It's Jesus. But I'll get, I'll get to that later. But what does Samuel do in this instance? He responds, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then that's when in verses 11 to 18, God gives Samuel his word a very specific word to proclaim to Eli, the priest boss guy. Now, if you were listening to the reading earlier on, you realized this is not good news. It's actually just a declaration of hopeless judgment. It's a judgment that's so severe, as verse 11 says, it will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. Now, tingle, like as in tickle? Or as in like what happens when you sleep on your arm and you wake up and you've got pins and needles, that's tingling as far as I can see. But no, that's not what this is talking about. The, the word in the original Hebrew language is more like the kind of uh, ringing or buzzing noise that you get in your head when you're about to faint. Have you ever had that before? Uh, you start to see stars and then you hear this buzzing noise. Anyone else? No. Okay, fine. Yeah, that, well, that is what happens. And... Uh, Basically, what it's saying is that people are going to hear this severe word of judgment and feel like they're going to pass out. Why? Verse 14 tells you why. The guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or by offering. Now, if you're new to this, um, God had made a way for people to have their sins forgiven. For some reason, he chose that this, the blood sacrifice of an animal that kind of died in your place was satisfaction to God, for it represented you. It took your punishment so that you weren't punished in the same way. And what the Lord is saying to Samuel about this guy Eli and the sins that he's committed is that it doesn't matter how many animals he kills, it doesn't matter how much blood is shed. He'll never, ever have atonement. That'll make your ears buzz. That'll make a people faint. The God who forgives sins is not going to forgive someone's sin. 
It's striking. Now remember, we saw last time that Eli and his sons have been completely abusing their position in the temple priests. They've been greedy bullies, showing contempt for God, basically kicking God in the face, sticking two fingers up at him, however you want to describe it, living the way they wanted to live and laughing about it. They lived like God did not exist. That's why there is this pronouncement of no atonement and no hope. Because God is holy. God will not be mocked. That helps you understand why Samuel doesn't go and tell Eli straight away, but just goes back to bed and pulls the covers up over his head or something like that. It's no wonder he was nervous about seeing Eli in the morning. The apprentice telling his mentor, God served your notice. But in no time at all, this young man is called to be God's mouthpiece and finds out just how difficult it can be to speak on God's behalf. But he must, indeed he does, because in verses 15 to 18, Samuel proclaims God's word to Eli faithfully. Now, what compels a fearful boy to speak a severe word so faithfully? You ever thought about that? Verse 17 gives us the answer. It's the fear of the Lord. Not a, I'm absolutely petrified uh, like I'm on a roller coaster or like I'm driving too close to the edge of this cliff kind of fear, but a, a deep overwhelming sense of reverence for the person that you're talking to or being addressed by. And bizarrely in verse 17, the fear of the Lord is what's invoked by Eli himself, the sinner who's under judgment. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. And Samuel, fearing God more than man, verse 18, say, it says, Samuel told Eli everything, hiding nothing from him. And there is the complete task of the prophet. It's not to take the word of God and mash it up a little bit and say whatever they want to say. It is just to present God's word plainly. Imagine Samuel received this word, went and spoke to Eli in the morning, and only presented half of it. How do you think God would feel about that? I guess he'd feel the way the Louvre would feel if, the, if DHL transported the Mona Lisa to an exhibition in London and decided on the way to spruce it up a bit. Maybe she needed to have a better smile. Or maybe the, maybe the DHL guy believed that blondes really did have more fun and decided to change the hair color. How do you think people who owned the Mona Lisa would feel about that? They would not be impressed in the slightest. Same with God. We read back in chapter 2, verse 30, that those who honor God, God will honor, but those who despise God will be disdained. And in relaying the word of God in its entirety, Samuel is upheld as one who honored God. He was a true megaphone. Fulfilling the prophet's task. And Eli's response proves it. I mean, how do you expect Eli to respond to this serious and severe word of judgment? How would you feel if you were there and you heard someone say to you, your sin will never be atoned for? 
Well, you might want to respond with a, by begging. Please, just give me one more chance, please. Or you might be spitting mad. Call yourself just. How dare you slam the door shut while there's still time? You might be God, but you're not good. So you might attack his character. But look with me, verse 18. What does Eli say? God is God. And God is good. Even in judgment, God is declared to be righteous by the very one being judged. Just as he will be on the day of judgment still to come. When we're all called to give an account. But what was all this for? Was this simply a, a reaffirmation of the judgment given to Eli in the chapter before? Just to make sure we keep him scared? No, what we have in this passage is God replacing an older order responsible for stifling the word of God to the point that the word of God was rarely heard by the people who needed to hear it and replacing it with a new order with the boy Samuel who would faithfully proclaim the word and have its desired effect of spreading out so that all people in Israel would hear it. See what he's doing? For we began in chapter 3 verse 1 where the word of God rarely heard, but here in chapter 4 verse 1, everybody's hearing the word of the Lord. And in verse 19, Samuel's acknowledged by, as God's prophet by God himself and the people of God. God says, we see in verse 19 that God was with Samuel, given his words the effect that they needed to have, that only God could give. And verse 21, he kept on revealing himself to Samuel through his word. And even among the people, Samuel's seen as a prophet. From Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, everybody recognized that Samuel was a megaphone, a spokesman in God's hand. And through the fear that the judgment of Eli and Hophni and Phinehas' sons spread through Samuel's words, well, they listened. That's God's intention for his word. It's to be heard. It's God's intention for the journey of his word. It's to spread so everybody can hear it. And that remains the case for us today. So, application time. What does God want us to do with this? Three quick things. First of all, hear it. Hear his voice. Hear the words of the Lord. We, right here in this city, in this nation, we live in a time in which the word of God is rarely heard. It was once the land of the book. The word of God was heard in the public square, the classroom, the hospital ward, by gravesides, in living rooms, even in churches. Not now. Of all the voices that need to be heard, this is it. But it's silenced by governments, curricula, parents, some so-called pastors. May God have mercy on this land so that all of us may have opportunity to hear it. You might be here tonight and you might not say, 
I'm trusting in Jesus' death for the forgiveness of my sins, like Aaron and Sarah explained earlier on. My encouragement for you would be to say, have you read it? Have you heard it? Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard anyone say anything to you from the Bible. You're like, ah, it's archaic. It's, it's for days gone by. It's timelessly irrelevant, friends. It is living and active. It is attested to by truth within itself and from without, from archaeology, from history. Please do not dismiss it. Before you go out tonight, if you would like one, I'd like to give you a copy of the New Testament so you can read it yourself. I'll have them down here just in a pile. You can just come and take one. They're free. And just start reading it for yourself. The best thing you can do is ask someone to help you understand it. Read it with you. There was a time I only became a Christian when I was 19 at university. Um, I thought I knew what it was about and I decided I didn't want to go to church and I didn't really want anyone to tell me what the Bible said. But the turning point for me was when I dignified my friend's request and sat down with him to study the Bible with him. Just to say, what does this passage say? Can you answer my questions? Because this sounds absolutely like something out of Star Wars to me. Show me why it's real and why I should change my entire life and live with this as my foundation. My encouragement is for you to do that. Even if you spend two weeks doing that, you've at least dignified the word of God to some extent and your friend's desire for you. Have a look at it. Feel free. And uh, if you, for me, one of the big things before I became a Christian was the reliability of the Bible. It's like, is this solid foundation? Like, isn't it just made up and full of, you know, full of nonsense, stories that weren't really true? Is the Bible actually reliable? Well, my encouragement for you to see is that it is. And I'm going to have uh, four copies of this book, Can I Really Trust the Bible? I'm going to have them at the back at the table just by the bookstore before we go out. I'd love for you to actually come and talk to me about this if you wanted to, or send your friend to come and chat to me about it. And I'd love to give you one of those. These, are worth, these things are worth exploring. The best thing that you can possibly do, even for a short period of time, is hear what God has to say. It's up to you whether you accept it or reject it. No one can force you to believe it. But do it. I don't think you'll regret it. That's the first thing. Hear. Hear it. Now some might say, well, maybe we need a prophet like Samuel. Why doesn't God send us one? My second point of application is essentially, read it and heed it. <laughs> heed the word of God. We have the prophetic word of our own to hear and heed, and it is the Bible. In it we have the words of 40 different authors, 40 different megaphones, if you like, through whom the one God speaks one story. And just as it was in Samuel's case, the words that they speak aren't theirs, they're delivering God's own words. 2 Peter 1 verses 19 to 21 in the New Testament says that we, we in these days after the coming uh, and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it. 
Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. If you look closely at the original words in Greek, it says these are not man-made, manufactured words. The, the real Greek says plastois logois, which means plastic words. These are not manufactured. These are God's given. So what does that mean then for the Christian, like I said at the start, who said, oh, if only I could hear God speak to me and tell me what to do in this or that. Well, this book, that text, 1 Samuel 3 says, open your Bible and read it. Lots. It says, make every effort to hear it read in public. Lots. Every occasion when it happens. It says, make every effort to hear it explained, preached, when that happens. And it says, don't, don't ever say God doesn't speak to me when you keep your Bible shut on a shelf. And don't say God doesn't speak to me when you're quite happily doing something else apart from coming to church on a Sunday. I feel like sometimes as Christians, we can be guilty of contempt for the privilege of this means of grace. It is his word in our hands. For 1,600 centuries, actually, they didn't really have this. We're a very privileged generation. His word in our hands is a gift. Indeed, even today, many in our world still don't have it. So let's not take it for granted. Let's read it and heed it. And what does it mean also for the unbeliever who says, well, I just want God to speak to me because then maybe I would believe in him, but as it is, he's pretty quiet. Well, listen to what Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 2 says. In the past, like in the time of Samuel, God spoke to us, through, spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. It's Jesus he's talking about. God's clearest word to the world is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He was the prophet like Moses, whose coming was predicted in Deuteronomy 18. He's the one who spoke like Samuel, saying everything, hiding nothing. And he came with a joy and a delight in talking about salvation and love and grace and encouraged everyone to come. So not just a message of judgment, but a message of salvation. There is hope through atonement, through Jesus' blood. But he didn't hesitate to issue warnings either of severe judgment for those who would despise him and his cross, that sacrifice of atonement where he laid down his life as a substitute for all who would believe in him. Have you? That's why he died. In your place, for your sin, so that you might be spared that judgment and instead enjoy salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you too can be saved. Third thing, lastly, speak it. Hear it 
heed it and speak it. Proclaim the word of the Lord to the world. Now, in one sense, we're not the recipients of direct supernatural revelation from God to give to other people. Uh, I'm profoundly uncomfortable when someone says, God told me to tell you this. I mean, if there isn't a chapter and a verse that comes after that, we should be concerned. And yet we are the recipients of direct supernatural revelation from God to give to other people. It's called the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. And that's what the entirety of this book is all about. And we are encouraged to share it. Read it, learn it, memorize it, open it with others, share it with them. It's God's word to you for your salvation, but it's God's word to others through you for theirs as well. Tell everything. Hide nothing. Such is his glory that this word will spread and his glory with it. Hear it, heed it, and speak it. Let's pray together. Our Father, to fresh ears, this must sound so weird and bizarre. And yet we know that you're the one who gives your words the understanding that no human being like me could ever give them. Our prayer for all of us, whether we are hearing it for the first time or as believers, we know it and cherish it ourselves, but seeing where we can um, be better at hearing it and heeding it and speaking it. Lord, give us grace. Thank you so much for this word that you've given us. Thank you that you've not kept yourself to yourself or yourself tucked away, but you have delighted to make yourself known. And you have explained to us that you're a God who makes himself known primarily not by sight, but by sound. So thank you for your words. May we read it and love it to grow in the likeness of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, or indeed put our faith and trust in him. We ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen.